One, two, three, four. Welcome to Kosher Queers, a podcast with at least two Jews and generally more than three opinions. Each week we bring you queer takes on Torah, their jazz, and she's Lulav, and they're Chesed. And today we're going to talk about Bo. Yeah. So we have a special guest for you today. Chesed is one human in the Minyana Metropolitan Minnesotan Queer Jews and a rising davening leader at Shir Tikva and as the token Jew in some interface spaces. <laughs> They are also a medical laboratory technician student at St. Paul College. They will steal your vital fluids, but... With consent. It's with consent. So I guess it's, they will borrow your vital fluids <laughs> and not return them. Yes. Much like the Jews do in this week's Parsha. Sorry. <gasps> Ooh, okay. Blood libel time. <laughs> <laughs> they don't steal blood. They just borrow things and don't give them back. Anyway, continue. <laughs> and lastly, but not leastly, they love joyful direct action. Yes. Aw, welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. Chesed goes to my shul. Yes. They're a cool kid. Yes, I am also a baby. <laughs> yeah. I met them when they were 17. Mm-hmm. What? Yes. Yeah. Only 20. So yeah, we've known each other for several years now. Yes. Which is fun. It's great. <laughs> Jazz, how many seconds would you like? Uh, I'm going to give it a try in 60. Okay. I did not time this beforehand, so we'll see how it goes. <laughs> no. Oh, God. Okay. On your mark, get set, go. God says he's preventing Pharaoh from letting them go on purpose to show off. Moshe and Aharon go to Pharaoh and demand a break in the wilderness, threatening more plagues, and Pharaoh's advisors say, let the leaders go already. But Moses and Aharon chant, none of us are free until all of us are free. And Pharaoh is like... <laughs> Uh, uh uh-uh, I can't listen to that kind of radical nonsense. Then locusts eat everything, and Pharaoh is like, scram! But God blows the locusts away like the house in the Wizard of Oz. Um, Then Pharaoh changes his mind again, so God turns out the light, and no one can see anything except the Israelites, because apparently they don't have candles or anything in the whole country. (laughs) So Pharaoh's like, this sucks, and everyone's going to get seasonal affective disorder. Get out of here, all of you, and bring all of your stuff. But Moshe is like, no, wait, we want your stuff too. And Pharaoh says, no. Um, So God's like, okay, this will be the last plague. Tell people to borrow gold and silver and stuff. And they mysteriously do get it. Then, before they even leave, we hear a long description of how to celebrate Pesach in future years, which includes a sacrificial lamb and mandatory matzah. So, Israelites put lamb's blood on the doors, like a mezuzah, and in every home that didn't have it, that, no! <laughs> Keep going. I mean, the eldest child was killed overnight, so Pharaoh was finally like, get these people out of here! And so they leave all thousands of them with lots of money from the Egyptians, and we get a reminder about Pesach and teaching it to your children and also to fill in. Fair! <laughs> So nice. I think that was only like eight seconds over. There's a lot happening. There's a lot happening. Honestly, you did it in 68 instead of 75. So like, yeah, yeah, I love that. There was exactly the right amount of editorializing there. (laughs) You kind of stole my perch at corner, but we're good. (laughs) I think we were maybe all bringing that. (laughs) I actually wrote it out, though. Oh, I love that. So yeah, you're welcome to go off. (laughs) Okay. Let us know when you need to call one. Okay.
So does that mean that I'm leading us through just like bit by bit? Yes, please. Okay. And Chesed, you are welcome to chime in. I have so many questions. So I got 10 verses in and I realized I had about 10 questions. So then I just <laughs> stuck to one big question per Aliyah, which Great. your Bible probably is not split up into. But No. Um, <laughs> I'm glad yours is. I have Safaria open, so I'll stop you. Rad. Can you Aliyah. tell us a little bit about what Aliyah are? Oh, yeah. So Aliyah are how the Torah portion is split up when you're chanting. Like if it's a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah that the child has to do all of it. Um, (laughs) But if it's like a regular Shabbat morning or like a regular Monday or Thursday, different people kind of chant each portion of the portion. So there's usually about seven Aliyot and it's just a easy way to split up the Torah portion. That's really fun. (laughs) Yeah. And depending on how you're doing it, like if you read it on Sepharia or on Chabad or whatever, they will break it up for you. And most of the physical written copies won't. (laughs) I just like how it makes it so that people chanting the Parsha aren't like I was in sixth grade and just try to read every single section (laughs) when called on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's good. So Hashem, in a nice pickup from last chapter, is like, hey, hey I've hardened Pharaoh's heart. There's signs. They're going to see what fools you made of them. And they will know that I am. Is this Adonai or the Tetragrammaton? Or? That's like the legit name. Yeah. Yeah. It's the first time we get the, the Yudhei-Vavhei as like the real name. Is it because it's also in verse one? Yeah, there's a bunch of tetragrammaton all over the place. Oh, also, I'm sorry. Last Parsha is the first time we get it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Also, sorry to use a Greek word. I am very adamant about not saying synagogue because it's Greek. But really? Yeah. Because it's like a place of coming together. But that's Greek. Well, what do you use instead? Shul. Which is Or temple if you're nasty. But being that shul is a Yiddish word, that seems exclusionary of, like, I wouldn't call a Sephardic place a shul. That's That's very fair. There's probably like a Ladino word. That probably is, but I don't know it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Now I'm having a crisis. Anyway, (laughs) back to the point. Uh, It's basically like, I'm flexing and will continue to flex. And then Moshe and Aaron go to Pharaoh and they're like, Hey, we've had some pretty reasonable demands, we think. But um, if you don't want to accede to those demands, we are going to go on strike again, which in this case looks like locusts all over the country. Your crops were already destroyed by hail, and they're just going to get eaten too. Get dunked on. Yes. And so Pharaoh is like, this guy, let's just placate him with cool workspaces. I mean, um, (laughs) give him everything he wants. So they come back. They're like, okay, Pharaoh's ready to bargain. And Pharaoh says, okay, okay, you can go. But wait, who's going to go? And Moshe is like, we're going to go with our young people and with our old people. Everybody's going. And so are our livestock. Yours says our young people and our old people? We will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and daughters and with our flocks and herds because we have the Lord's festival to celebrate. Yeah, that's pretty much what the JPS says too. Huh. Fascinating. Remind me, what translation are you primarily reading from, Jess? I was looking at my reform translation, which does not use young and old specifically, but translates that line as we will all go regardless of social station. I love that. Oh, all right. Yeah. A little bit of editorializing. It's a little bit of editorializing, but I love it. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think that this part is doing the mirrorism that we see with like, he made them male and female. Right. It's like, 
we will go with our young and our old, just like all of them. And so that translation is, um, Jazz, you're the linguist. It's like the gist rather than yeah, the yeah, yeah, exact yeah. thing. Okay. Yeah. Translation is an art. There's a person who I follow whose name is Artemis Lopez, I think, who talks a lot about how, like, queer translation is an art in and of itself to try and get the nuance. And that's the feeling I have here. Good. Pharaoh's like, <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound right. You don't need to bring your kids. Plainly, you have some evil purpose in mind. Does it say evil purpose? In this translation? Okay. Yeah. And the JPS says you are bent on mischief. Mine too, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Clearly you're mischief makers, <laughs> you social justice warriors. And so only your men, nobody else. Yeah. And that's the first Dahlia. Yeah. So I have big questions. Big questions. Big questions. I have lots of little questions, <laughs> but I'm going to start with the big question. I'd love it. Which, um, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> like... Starting with the very first verse, it's like, hey, God, hey, God, what's up? Why are you making it so Pharaoh won't let your people go? And also, yeah. why are you so intent on getting so much attention? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of the big theological question in some ways of this whole mm-hmm. area is why is God doing that? And the commentary that I read a little bit said, even though we recognize this introduces kind of a theological problem, the text itself was probably more concerned with establishing how powerful God was mm-hmm. in terms of saying that nothing happened that could be ultimately opposed to God's wishes. So if Pharaoh was being really stubborn and annoying, that must have also somehow been part of the plan. <sighs> And so that they were focused on that instead. I feel like we can do better in interpreting, but that was the one that they offered to me. Yeah, I like that as a doilist interpretation. My Watsonian is that, like you said in the short summary, none of us are free until Mm -hmm. all of us are free. Mm -hmm. If they just went with the first offer that they got, it wouldn't set a precedent. Yeah. It wouldn't mean that they're gone. And so, like we've talked about in previous episodes, this shows us that it's a long process to get permanent gains. Mm-hmm. And so I think insofar as it is explicitly part of God's plan, it's like, okay, I'm going to make sure that you demonstrate your power and my power and get your people free forever. Yeah, I was listening to another commentary. Rabbi Sandra Lawson has these like one minute Torah analysis and like she calls it minute lessons from the Torah. And she has a little podcast that does that too. And this was her like takeaway from the whole Parsha was she said it as we ain't leaving anybody behind. (laughs) Good. Yeah. Did you have further questions, Chesed? Well, I I want to bring one teaching that I learned from my rabbi, Rabbi Ariel Lakak Rosenberg. Woo! Uh, yeah, she's great. And also really pretty. She's so beautiful. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I brought this up to her, kind of like, hey, why does God value getting attention over the liberation of people? And mm. her response was basically like, God has needs too. <laughs> <laughs> Like, God wants to be loved just like everyone else, okay? Like, let God have friends. Oh my god. All right, Lulav, can you keep us moving? Yes, I can keep you moving. Then the Lord said to Moshe, stretch out your hand, do the locust thing. So he did. There was an east wind that brought the locusts, and 
they covered everything just like was said. Pharaoh was like, oh, I have trespassed against Hashem. Do forgive my sin just this once and pray to the Lord your God that at the least he removed this deadly thing for me. So it's basically like as soon as the union starts agitating about like, we're definitely going to go on strike. The boss is like, oh, oh, no, I'll give you one extra day of paid time off. Uh-huh. On top of the zero that you already have. Uh-huh. So Moshe is like, okay, I'm going to take you at your word. And he prayed to relieve the locusts. And then as soon as the locusts are gone, as soon as that pressure is gone, Pharaoh is like, nah, you're not going. <laughs> I'm good. Nothing bad has ever happened here. And so Moshe does a plague of darkness, just dense darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. People could not see one another. And this is like well within the wheelhouse of Hashem, as we have seen from, I do not remember the name of the Parsha, but it's the one where Lot is partying down. Mm -hmm. And just everybody's like, oh, I can't see anything suddenly. (laughs) I don't know. Does anybody have questions so far? Uh, Or should I finish this part? Go ahead and finish that, Leah. Pharaoh summons Moshe and says, okay. Now you can go, just please leave your livestock. Even your children can go. And Moshe's like, no, that's not enough. We also have to have maternity leave, which in this case is livestock for sacrifices, because that's like the point of the, quote, festival, end quote. And so Pharaoh's like, oh, this is just too much. Women in the workplace? (laughs) And take care that you do not see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall die. Yep. And Moshe's like, okay, bye forever, I guess. That's the end of the chapter, and he went over a little bit on the Aliyah, but that's fine. Okay. So I'm really curious about this whole festival thing. Mm -hmm. What does Pharaoh think is happening? Does he think the Israelites are going to come back after the festival? Yeah. That's what they're promising him. I don't know that he thinks that they're coming back, but they would like him to think that they're coming back. Isn't that the implication? Yeah, I think this fits. Oh, did you have something? No, I'm just like, this is a part of the narrative that you don't get in like Prince of Egypt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's all contained in one song. Right. (laughs) You know, like I don't actually read Torah as much as I should. And I kind of forget that there's this stuff that I forget about. So. So I think this fits really well into the schema that I was talking about where you have to agitate for permanent gains. Mm. If Pharaoh had just been like, yeah, you can go do a festival, then there probably would just have been an annual festival with a bunch of sacrifices where everybody went. But because there's such an arduous process and there are, uh, what's the liberal saying, deep rifts, it ends with the Israelites just leaving forever because there is no way to be slaves and also worship the God of freedom. There is a note also that I was reading in my commentary that said also these plagues, I always envision them taking place, you know, very, very close to each other, (laughs) but that they're actually supposed to have taken place over the course of a year. Okay. So people have a long time to be really fed up with stuff and organize and whatever. Mm. Yeah, and, like, I was going to high school when Scott Walker was just elected in Wisconsin. There's a plague. So, right? So I definitely lived through some very drawn-out teacher's contract negotiations. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it takes a while to demand and be rewarded with what you need. Right. Which, I mean, 
there's a lot to wrestle with here in our modern times of like incremental progress versus revolution. Like <laughs> this is this is revolution where they refuse to accept the incremental progress. Yeah. And it's like, okay, what does this have to tell us about now? I think where we as like what's the word? Progressive socialists, whatever is relevant in this case. Where we do not accept of incremental change is where that incremental change is the end of it. Mm-hmm. Like, right. we need a festival where we have our young ones and our livestock. You can't just, like, let trans people in the military and call it a day. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. This may be tangential, but I have this quote rattling around in my head, which is one of those famous Asada Shakur quotes that goes, It is our duty to fight for our freedom. It is our duty to win. We must love each other and support each other. We have nothing to lose but our chains. Oh, that's cute. Thank you, ma'am. Not you, the... Yes, no, I understand. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, the Lord said to Moshe, I will bring one more plague, and then afterwards he's going to let you go. In fact... He's not just going to let you go to the festival. He's going to drive you out. Tell the people that everyone is just going to ask for some gold. Just like silver and gold. Give me necklaces. And there's this bit about how Moshe is important. That doesn't seem to relate to anything. Well, okay. So I think it does. Because the JPS in that same verse says... And Hashem disposed the Egyptians favorably toward the people. Right. And Moses was much esteemed in the land of Egypt. So, like, this guy who was bringing all these plagues on behalf of God was still somehow liked by the Egyptians. I am just blown away by this verse because I'm like, how do the Egyptians still like the Israelites after all of this has gone down? Yeah. I think this points to regardless of popular support, the bosses won't give in. Mm, Okay. So, like, it can be... Like, comically obvious that Pharaoh's actions are bad for Egypt as a whole. Mm. And the Egyptian people can be like, yeah, just let them go, man. This isn't worth it. And they can care a lot about that. But it doesn't matter because Pharaoh's the one giving orders and, like, the military and stuff are the ones following the orders. Mm. I like that Perchic Corner. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks. This entire episode (laughs) is just a Perchic Corner. (laughs) And that is also the end of the third Elias. Oh, fun. Number four. Moshe lays out the plague of the firstborn. Humans of great station, of low station, livestock, they're all just going to die. And that's going to be so injurious to the entire land of Egypt. But it's not that they're going to attack the Israelites as a result. Not even a dog shall growl at any of them. The officials are just going to be like, please leave us. Just take everyone and uh, we'll leave. So Hashem says to Moshe, hey, dude, Pharaoh's Pharaoh's not not going to listen to you. you. In In order order that that my wonders wonders may be multiplied multiplied in the the land land of of Egypt. Egypt. So I guess the tone of voice that I had there was more of a personal reading than what's actually in the text. But um, yeah, they did all these wonders. And basically, Hashem is like, this This is is going to be bad, bad, but we've we've got a way to protect you. you. Make sure that you sacrifice some lambs. They can be sheep. They can be goats. Both are lambs, I guess. You keep the lamb until the 14th day of this month, and then the whole assembled congregation shall slaughter it together, and then paint the blood on the lintel of their houses. (coughs) Keep going. They'll eat it and burn any leftovers to a crisp, and they will eat it fully dressed 
as though they are running away. This is the Passover of the Lord, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and will strike down every firstborn. But when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Any questions? Oh my gosh, this was a long alia. Um, I have a lot of questions. Yeah. First and foremost, this is like the peak of the God, hey, what you doing moment. <laughs> because God is literally killing everyone, regardless of status yeah. or, you know, complicity in slavery or power mm-hmm. to make the slavery happen just to be a show off, which is extremely problematic. Like it literally says in the JPS, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstones. Mm-hmm. So are there just also Egyptian slaves? Yes. Okay. As established two parshot ago okay. during the famine that oh, right, right, Yosef yeah. was overseeing. Yeah. Yeah. Although they don't fully talk about those people as slaves in the exact same way, I don't think. We talked about that as more akin to serfs or indentured servitude. Mm -hmm. Okay. But definitely there are Egyptians who have nothing. And also the cows. Like, the cows didn't do this. (laughs) Why are the cows dying? Why are the serfs dying? Like, also, why is Pharaoh's kid dying? Like, Pharaoh's kid didn't do this. (laughs) Right. Why... Like, God is supposed to love justice. Why is God intentionally escalating this to the point where people who aren't necessarily responsible for this are dying? I think that's been true since the very beginning. Mm. Like, blood in the River Nile messes with everybody in Egypt. That's true. It's just that this is more direct. Yeah. And it might be a thing of, like, people don't notice when it's just stuff that's affecting Mm. their bottom line. But when there is direct action taken against their person, then they're like, oh. There was not a house in the land that did not know death. Right. Right. But but also, I mean, this one's supposed to be, as I understood it, a direct parallel to the thing that Pharaoh was demanding happen to all the Israelites. Like when it says they passed over all of their houses, you know, that also assumes that the Israelites didn't lose a firstborn. But contextually, they mm-hmm. probably all mostly have already. Mm. <laughs> oh, boy. True. Because, you know, Moshe's life is saved, but it's been a generation. Like, he's an adult, which means it's been a generation since Pharaoh's order went through of kill all of the firstborn of the Israelites. So contextually, it seems like in some ways, the ultimate suffering is for them to suffer as we have suffered. Yeah, that's so much. Yeah, it is. It's a lot. I went digging in the commentary and I found uh, this guy, Akidat Yitzchak, which I don't know if he's like big and important. He was the only guy who had English translation. So <laughs> that's who I read. Baruch Hashem. And I found some like really upsetting stuff about punishment. Hmm. Like the reason why the plagues escalated this far was because they say the incentive for repentance is fear and terror. Which is, like, not what we lefty people like to think about, like... Depends on the lefty. That's true. That's very, very true. It's not what crunchy people like. Yeah. It's definitely not what we like to think about how we make meaningful and cultural change. Yeah. We like to reach out to people and, like, have people's needs met. And this commentary is, like, no, in order to make meaningful change, you need to make people terrified and make an example out of them, basically. Which is... That makes me uncomfortable, but it's in there. 
I don't know that that's wrong when talking about like what is realistically in people's power. Like it, it would be wonderful if you could just sit down with everybody and be like, hey, why are you complicit in this system that keeps all of us held down? Mm. Just let us go. Yeah. Like that would be the ideal, but you can't do that. And so like big violent action in this case is not directly taking out the people who are um, impediments, but I don't know. We do have the concept that people in power do not just willingly give up power. Right? There is literally nothing that you could say to probably any Republican elected official in America that would get them to not be, this is a good Jewish podcast, a jerk. (laughs) Kim, we keep moving. Yes. yes. Sorry. Okay. So Moshe called all the elders of Israel and said, this is a big deal. This day shall be a day of remembrance for you. You'll celebrate it as a festival to the Lord throughout all the generations. This is a forever festival. For seven days, you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you'll remove the leaven for whoever eats it shall be excommunicated. On the first day, you shall hold a solemn assembly. And on the seventh day, a solemn assembly. No work shall be done on those days. So it's like a special Shabbat. Only what everyone must eat, that alone may be prepared. You shall observe the festival of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your companies out of the land of Egypt, which is like a restatement of previous stuff. Yeah, just to be clear, when it says like, you shall do this because on this day I brought you out of the land of Egypt, Mm -hmm. we are saying this before we've left Egypt, (laughs) yeah? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, which is wild. Like, just (laughs) in the middle of this big dramatic thing, we get these list of rules. Like... (laughs) It's kind of like an interlude. Like, imagine, like, if in the Prince of Egypt, right before the final plague, someone coming up, okay, here's what you're going to do for forever. Uh, You're going to have all these rules. You're going to cook a lamb. You can't cook more of it than you need because we don't like food waste. (laughs) Why is this here? Why isn't this at the end? Why is this here? I have a partial explanation. Okay. Which is, I do not think the technical religious version of the explanation, but my version of the explanation is you have to imagine like you're telling this story and you're telling it as kind of a didactic story. And also you're telling it like to an audience that already celebrates Pesach. And also in that audience is children. And if you tell the like moral bit about, and here's the rituals at the very end, the children are all like, I'm leaving. I am out of here. Like (laughs) you have bored me. I already finished the story part. But if you do it in the middle where you're like, we were in this dramatic thing and then guess how that connects to what we do now shlomo (laughs) okay and then they're like but 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 the story and they're like "Uh uh-huh so when are you supposed to eat matzah and they're like but but the story (laughs) so you insert your didactic thing in the middle and then you go back to the story okay that does make sense (laughs) and it is kind of wild because it's like I knew that Pesach was a torah holiday but also we literally do the seder and it's in the Torah. And I'm like, y'all, it's right there. What? <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at a Seder plate right now. It's in the Torah. It's in the Torah. Except for the lamb stuff. We don't do the lamb stuff like that anymore because uh, we don't have a temple. Also, we have leftovers. <laughs> yeah. Also, I guess the plate is not. I think the plate stuff is made up. Well, but It's all made up. But yeah. Well. We're supposed to have bitter herbs. We're supposed to have matzah. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like we're supposed to have bitter herbs and matzah and the the lamb. Like we eat. Oh uh, yeah. 
Cool. I love that. I think the eggs are a little bit more made up. But anyway, let's keep going. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. Right. Where were we? In the first month from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day, you shall eat unleavened bread for seven days. Okay. We're still talking about matzah. (laughs) Um, Then Moshe called all the elders of Israel and said, okay, get those lambs for your families and slaughter them. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood in the basin. None of you shall go outside the door of your house until morning, for the Lord shall pass through to strike down the Egyptians. When he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over that door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you down. You shall observe this rite as a perpetual ordinance for you and your children. Which is interesting. I guess that's what you were talking about, how we don't do the, like, Paschal sacrifice exactly, because we don't have a temple. Yeah, but basically, like Chesed was saying, we just do exactly this forever. Yeah. Yeah. Technically, we should be painting blood on our mezuzah with, like, hyssop. <laughs> I think that's why we have but... a mezuzah instead. It's fine. Oh, yeah. So you can shema. That sounds great. I love that. I don't recognize this word that it has for destroyer. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I think the word is hamashchit, hmm. which is a feminine word. So girl power, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have destroyer in your text, Jess? Yes. Oh. Um... Uh, yes, I do have it as destroyer. Cool. So that's a universal translation. It is capitalized. <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. It yeah. sure is. Oh, it's not for me. Um, <laughs> I love that. It definitely is for me. And I'm checking. It's not in the Chabad version. It, it's okay. just a, yeah. I have two translations. Cool. As usual. I love that for you. Okay, technically I have three, but. <laughs> I have the same translation, but one's in a book and one's on my phone. Okay. You shall observe this rite as a perpetual ordinance for you and your children. When you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this observance. And when the children ask, "Uh, what does this mean? You'll say, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, for he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck down the Egyptians, but, but spared our houses. And everybody clapped. We just have the four children start right here. we pour out our entire booze. What? <laughs> or we pour out our entire booze because we're sad because people died. Yeah. 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 Pour one out for everyone. I actually do love that, kind of. Yeah. So the Israelites went and did just as the Lord had commanded Moshe and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down everyone. Pharaoh woke up and was like, oh, my son was carrying a vase and then he dropped it. And now I am very sad. And he's on a slab. That's Sorry, Prince of Egypt. From Prince of Egypt. Yes. Like, that's, not, that's not in here. <laughs> no. So yeah, he was very sad because his son died. And there was a loud cry in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. So he summons Moshe and Aaron immediately in the night and says, get out of here. Go worship the Lord. I don't care anymore. Bring a blessing on me too. Yeah. And so the Egyptians you know, urged them to leave. So the people took the dough before it was leavened with their kneading bowls wrapped up in their cloaks on their shoulders. (laughs) Thanks for the foreshadowing, Bible. This is why we have a festival of unleavened bread. How I interpreted it was like the Israelites were literally receiving that knowledge of the laws of Pesach before they knew they were like before they were leaving. So it's like they didn't leaven their bread on purpose. Oh my God. 
Yeah, that's just a fun little headcanon. Good, which is what we do now. Yeah, so. (laughs) And I'm also imagining they're cleaning their entire house. (laughs) Good. So here's the wild thing. The Israelites had previously asked the Egyptians for jewelry and for clothing. And um, they just gave it. And so this copy says they plundered the Egyptians. Oh, mine says they stripped the Egyptians. Mine does too. Hot. (laughs) Kind of like Joseph. Ooh. How he got stripped of his Technicolor dream coat. Okay. Nice. Okay. That happened. That happened. And then he went to Egypt and got stripped again. Yeah. They're like bringing upon themselves the title of Behor because it was abused by Egyptians. I guess, is what Deco might say if he were here. Maybe, and also the Bechor is supposed to be the firstborn son. Yeah? <gasps> so all mm. of those are dead, so it's up for grabs. Whoa. God. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up. That's like, we're vibing. <laughs> wow. Real intense. Um, I have two pieces of commentary. The okay. first one is actually just read the word borrow, since they're definitely not borrowing it. The first time this comes up, a little bit earlier, when God said, like, tell the Israelites to borrow it. There's a bit here, Sforno says, they needed to be encouraged to ask for this, as they might have worried about the Egyptians pursuing them in order to retrieve their riches. It worked in reverse. In fact, the very fact that, spoilers, the Egyptians chased after the Israelites (laughs) was the immediate reason God came to the Israelites' assistance and drowned their pursuers. That is what made them absolutely free. Mm. Oh, okay. So this is like a tactical thing. (laughs) But the other one, this one doesn't have attribution, doesn't say where it came from, but re-stripped. My commentary notes that the people of Israel here seem to have been in the legal position of a slave wife who, upon being expelled from the house, was owed compensation. So, so they were enslaved, but if you're getting rid of a person who has been enslaved and living in your home, Mm. you owe them, like, to pay them. Yeah. And my copy notes in parentheses, yeah, in our time, (laughs) some have similarly proposed that restitution, i.e. reparations, be made to the United States to black Americans as the descendants of slaves. So, yeah. So the Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkot, about 600,000 men on foot besides children. What? Um, A mixed crowd also went up with them and livestock in great numbers, both flocks and herds. They baked unleavened cakes out of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt. It was not leavened because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the Israelites had lived in Egypt was 430 years, which explains why there are 600,000 Israelites. Mm -hmm. The counting thing is actually a little ambiguous, but yeah. (laughs) What do you mean counting thing? Uh, so it does say very specifically 600,000 men, like it's very specific about the men, Mm, mm -hmm. but they note that that figure, like if you're also supposed to have another than huge thousands of women and then also children and whatever, that seems to be too large of a number. (laughs) Well, it's, it also says a mixed multitude went up with them. So maybe the 600,000 also includes some Egyptian defectors. Oh, that's Mm -hmm. interesting. Which it definitely does according to tradition. And possibly according to the text. That's super cool. I mean, like, I know that our people does, but I think maybe that number does as well. Mm -hmm. 
I just mean that even if you say it includes like Egyptian defectors, the one thing the text is really clear about there is gender in a way that it isn't always, that that's only counting the men. And then if you also count in women, you just like, (laughs) you have over a million people. It's just too large of a number. (laughs) And so they think that maybe the word that we're translating as thousand, which in more modern interpretations definitely is thousand, here did not mean a thousand, that it meant like a contingent. Oh, 600 contingents. Okay. Right. And mm. those might have been smaller than a thousand. <laughs> oh, and that makes sense because 600 is divisible by 12 evenly. So. Oh, cool. Yeah. 430 years. All the companies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. That was for the Lord a night of vigil to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Uh, so Hashem is working overtime. That same night is a vigil to be kept for the Lord by all the Israelites throughout their generations. So the Lord said to Moshe and Haron, This This is is the the ordinance ordinance for the Passover. Passover. No No foreigner foreigner shall eat of it. But any slave who has been purchased may eat of it after he has been circumcised. No bound or hired servant may eat of it. If an alien who resides with you wants to celebrate the Passover to the Lord, all his males shall be circumcised. Then he shall draw near to celebrate it. He shall shall be be regarded regarded as a native of the land, but no one circumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the alien who resides among you. Why are they so obsessed with penises? (laughs) Yes, unfortunately. So the thing about circumcision is that, I don't know if I've talked about this already, but like it harkens from the practice of when you're making a covenant between people, you sacrifice something. Usually it's you circumcise, like cut around the neck of a livestock animal. Oh, okay. But when it comes to a covenant with God, what you sacrifice is part of your own flesh that isn't actually necessary. (laughs) So it's like you cut around, you cut the covenant. Wink, wink. Is how I like to say it. Yes. And also women aren't people. But yeah, when we talk about circumcision here, we are talking about wholeheartedly participating in these Mm. celebrations. So basically, it's saying, don't just let randos at Pesach with you. Make sure that it's people who, like, actually care about your family's traditions Mm. and are celebrating it as, like, a a solemn and joyous festival with you. Okay, I'm into that. Does that jive with you, Jess? Uh, yes. I will say that I like the interpretation and I don't like the full way the text reads. Very fair. Such that... If it were up to me, and maybe a suggestion for future, I guess, is that I'd rather hear your summary of it than just, you know, what your text says as we go through our summaries and stuff. You know what I mean? Because mm, okay. the, the literal quotes are... Pretty nasty. Grating, yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. But I will say that the thing it is reminding me of is, as you say about, like, only have people who, like, value it there, is how sometimes there are Christian satyrs that, like, just have no Jews with them, but they're like, we're going to do <sighs> Jewish things and i don't like those no (laughs) makes me want to do a punch (laughs) yeah and there was an npr story about jews inviting goyim to their satyrs which like i do that i feel fine about that right isn't that like a custom because like you're supposed to invite people to come eat with you right so on the one hand i love the general idea of like Hey, friends, come learn about our Jewish traditions and have fun with us at this solemn festival where we feed you. On the other hand, it being on NPR, (laughs) just like, 
in, in a very public location and without the nuance of don't invite people who won't take this seriously. True. Don't love that. Yeah. But I've always had oh, non- yeah. non-Jews at Seders. And especially, like, as you're part of communities that have, like, interfaith couples and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. what are you going to do? Like, invite somebody and not invite their partner? That's so rude. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. And, like, when, when I was a kid and wasn't being actively Jewish, but still, like doing Pesach, it was very important to me to, like, we didn't have our own Passover meals at home. Mm. We went to, like, the Goldsteins? Mm. Is that their last name? I don't know. I don't know these people. Mm. You don't know these people. people. Anyway, point is, like, we went to other Jewish families who we were family friends with and had a big communal meal. Mm. Yeah. And read out of their Haggadot. Yeah. Okay, we done? Almost done. There is a lot of repetition that you're going to keep it forever. Mm-hmm. So, like, Pesach is... Big deal. Big deal. More about leaven and unleavened bread. And you shall tell your children on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And I think that the amount of restatement here about telling the children is, like, very much in keeping with your thing about... Okay, now what do we do on Pesach? <laughs> <laughs> um... But yeah, it shall serve for you as a sign on your hand and as a reminder on your forehead so that the teaching of the Lord may be on your lips. For with a strong hand, the Lord brought you out of Egypt. And there's a note about like the meaning of this being uncertain in my text. And I think it's just like your hand and your forehead are both very important places to your selfhood. Mm -hmm. So like... Marking a reminder there. Confess with your hands that the Lord brought you out of Egypt. Mark upon your forehead that the Lord did it. This is also just like to fill in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, there is a thing about setting aside the firstborn livestock just forever. First issue of every womb. The Ooh, issue of the every first womb. issue of every womb. <laughs> <laughs> and when children are like, hey, what does this mean? You shall answer, by strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from human firstborn to the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord every male that first opens the womb, but every firstborn of my sons I redeem. So, like, it's following from the plague of the firstborn. We're not sacrificing our own firstborn, first off. Very important. Don't do that. But we are taking the stuff that we eat. We're like putting a damper on the growth of our fortunes as a memory of what happened when we were brought out of Egypt. Mm. And also where to fill in. Yes, also where to fill in is (laughs) restated a second time. Yes. That's the end. That's the end. That's the end. We did it. (laughs) All right. Are we allowed to have one more big question at the end? Absolutely. Okay, so I want to complicate this. Uh Uh-oh. Is this a story of exile? Is this a story where we are kicked out of a country because they're being (laughs) anti-Semitic? And this may or may not work, but I want to try to tie it into like, currently there's rising anti-Semitism and it sucks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is a story of leaving a place that was oppressive. At what point do we leave? Mm -hmm. Because it's like, obviously we're not enslaved. So... We're not to this point yet where we have to be freed by God. But also, like, a lot of people are saying in response to people being like, oh, well, I'm scared we should flee, is say, like, no, you have to stay and fix it. Mm -hmm. Or it's like, 
the Israelites didn't have to stay and fix Egyptian culture. Like, they just left. At what point do you leave? And at what point do you stay? And where do you go? Right? Because <laughs> right. Yeah. They, uh, the thing they do is, like, they're saying, I will bring you into this land of milk and honey uh, where all these other people already live. Um, and, and, yeah, what does that mean? So, like, Chesed, when you say, at what point do you leave? At what point do you stay? Mm-hmm. I think you're using the general you. Yes. But, like, I think it is a personal question for every single person. At mm. what point do you decide we can't live here and I need to bring all the people I care about somewhere else. And there is also the question of to what extent is wherever I live my homeland Mm -hmm. and I will protect the people around me and build a brighter future where I am. And that's just something that everybody has to answer. Although here they make a collective decision and and there is a (laughs) sort of like, like here no one leaves until everyone leaves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so there is that aspect of it, too, of like, is it an individual decision or do we all need to stick together? I mean, my midrash on this is that there were people who stayed. There were people Mm. who didn't mark their lintel with the blood of the firstborn. And like, they're still Israelites. They're just not like they don't go on to become Jews. Mm. But they still live where they were. They are the descendants of Israel. And like, they keep on living Mm. is my take on that. Yeah. Because there will never be a complete exodus from a land. Like, you can never leave with every single person. Well, except that there's, like, precious few Jews in Hungary these days, right? Like, Right. So you can if the population is willing to kill you. Um, <laughs> right. It's like we have these conflicting ancestries where it's like, on one point, we have this amazing liberation story of where we stuck to our guns, even though they didn't have guns back then. And they they stuck together and they didn't leave until everyone was liberated and they stuck through it together. Also, the historical reality of like, we are the descendants of the people who did what they had to do to survive. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of our ancestors, that meant fleeing countries by themselves or with just a few people and not with everyone and other people were left behind and died. Yeah. Like my great grandparents ran from pogroms. I would like to think that I die on a barricade. Mm -hmm. So like it varies for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Thank you for that question (laughs) and complication. (laughs) Thank you. And I'm sorry. (laughs) Never. Okay, good. Uh, can we do lighthearted ratings before we end? Yeah. Absolutely. Chesed out yes. of 10 plagues. Sorry to take the easy one. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> How many plagues would you give this Parsha? Ooh, I would give it 10 whole plagues with the entirety of suffering those plagues have. Ooh. So it's like, this is a full, rich partial. I love that. And it's not pleasant, and that's why I love it. Mm. Cool. I said, do you have a rating yet? Um, yeah. How many men were there? 600,000? Yeah, 600,000 men. <laughs> All right. Besides children. Okay, Lulav, <laughs> uh, out of 600,000 men and several women, <laughs> <laughs> what would you rate this partial? You gotta stop giving Lulav scales of men. <laughs> at least i included several women i would rate this parsha five hundred forty-five thousand seven hundred thirty-two men all right cool 
besides children. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. I mean, this is kind of a middle Parsha. Mm-hmm. Like, it's continuing the story. There isn't any of the, like, really close familial drama that we've had <laughs> in the rest of the Moshe arc yeah. or, like, in <laughs> in the Joseph stuff. <laughs> But, like, it's a solid portion, and there's a lot to think about here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, 545,732, is that what I yeah, said? I think that sounds right. Okay. And no women. Well, we just don't talk about them. <laughs> Jazz, out of seven days, the first and seventh of which are solemn assemblies, mm-hmm. what would you rate this, Parsha? I, I would rate it, I think... Six days, but including both the solemn ones. Cool. There's like a day in the middle that is like maybe a half day. <laughs> but yeah, so I I really like it. I think it's really intense. And I appreciate that, that it gives us a lot to wrestle with. I love Passover. Passover is my favorite ho- holiday. <laughs> <laughs> can't. We can't even have challah on it. So it's not even a holiday. Uh, but yeah, so I, I love Pesach and I love how much this one causes us to wrestle with ideas of liberation and what mm. is it and what could it be. And and I really do struggle with some of the death and yeah. stuff that is entailed in that. And I don't know if we come back to it, but if we don't, if we don't talk about it again before <laughs> Passover, I just do want to say that it is very important to me. And I really love that we have as part of our like official liturgy that we mourn what happened with the firstborn um, and with all of the plagues that like we're not supposed to be taking joy in their pain. Yeah. Even as we're celebrating our freedom. Jess? Yeah. Can you take us to the close? Yeah. I sure can. Thanks so much for listening to Kosher Queers. If you like what you've heard, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash kosherqueers, which will give you bonus content and help us keep making this for you. You can also follow us on Twitter at Kosher Queers or like us on Facebook at Kosher Queers or email us your questions, comments, and concerns at kosherqueers at gmail.com. And please spread the word about our podcast. Our artwork is by the talented Lior Gross. Our music is courtesy of the fabulous band Brivilla, whose work you can find on Bandcamp. Go buy their album. They're great. Our sound production this week is done by my lovely co-host, Lulove Arnau. Thus says my co-host. <laughs> I'm Jazz Twersky, and you can find me at WordNerdKnitter on Twitter. I recorded this audio on the traditional lands of the Lenape people. I'm Lula Varno, and you can find me at SpaceTruck6 on Twitter, or yell at me at PalmLiker. I recorded this audio on the traditional lands of the Wapekute and Anishinaabeg, as did our good friend Chesed. Chesed, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at ChesedBain, K-H-E-S-E-D-B-E-I-N, but I'm much better in real life. They are. <laughs> <laughs> They're an absolute joy. Thank you. Hmm. Have a lovely queer Jewish day. This week's gender is firstborn. This week's pronouns are redeem, redeemed, redemption.